0: Welcome to Divorce Etc hosted by us, the ex experts. We're here to give you all kinds of information and tips on everything divorce. Plus, we're asking a lot of the questions that you may not even think of or know to ask, but we know because we've lived it, so we get it. We're Jessica and TH. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, our guests on the podcast are Christina Previtt and John Knocklinger, the co-owners of New Jersey Divorce Solutions, a firm in New Jersey that handles divorce and family law exclusively thanks for being here, guys.
1: Thank you for having <laughs> us. Sure.
2: Wow. Um,
0: we wanted to delve into the topic today of some of the most common mistakes that men and women make during divorce. Um, we're mistakenly or not, assuming that the most common mistakes between men and women may not be the exact same, and probably just really useful information for people to hear in terms of what those are and how people can try to avoid them and possibly some alternative solutions to getting around them. Um, so in your experience, both of you, do you feel like there is generally a difference between the biggest and most common mistakes made during divorce by men and women?
2: I think there might be some. I, I think it's often not related to gender, but it has more to do with the person that it will call the breadwinner, which as we know in our society is more often it's the woman who's, um, you know, maybe a homemaker or is not the breadwinner that the husband is often the one that was making more money. So those people often have different considerations, but I think a lot of the mistakes that people make are on both sides. So they're similar. Um, so without rattling all of them off, you know, I, I think most people are should approach it the same way, but there might be some nuances depending on if you're the breadwinner or not. John, do you agree with that?
1: So I think that's right. And because a lot of men still are making more money, even though that's changing every day. Um, it's difficult to see whether or not the mistakes that they're making is because they're a man versus they're, you know, making more money or whether one person's taking care of the children and the other one's not. Um, It's really difficult to ever say why they're making the mistakes. Um, It could be because it's a man and a woman, but it could be many other reasons too. But there are definitely things that men do uh, generally speaking, we're stereotyping here, of course, guys, Of course, because uh, everyone's different, but um, there are certain things that men do where I see it over and over again. They do the same things. And there's certain things women do over and over again. Um, so I think it's a good conversation, but generally speaking, people make a lot of mistakes in divorce, which I know is what you guys are trying to solve.
0: Yes. But, but so tell us like, so let's start with what you would say is the most seen mistake that's coming from men over and over and over again let's start with that
1: so more men make this mistake but women make it too And okay. that is not understanding that an attorney is not a therapist attorney is not a therapist all right Say um
3: one more time. Say one more time. and even
1: if you want to pay your attorney to try to be a therapist we're not therapists and the little secret is we don't want to be therapists either. So um, the big, the mistake is not finding another avenue to work through your feelings about what you're going through. So, I mean, basically everyone going through a divorce should have a therapist. I, I just, I feel like that because it's a much better outlet to talk to a therapist about what you're going through, even better than your friends. Because your friends are more likely to give you their biased opinions about what's going on in your divorce instead of separating out your feelings about what's going on and what led you to this place where you're getting divorced versus um, the actual what you're asking for and fighting. So I do think that that is a big mistake more men make than women, but plenty of women make it too, um, because a lot of men have an aversion to therapy. They have an aversion to therapy For themselves, they have an aversion to therapy for their kids. I think a lot of men see it as a weakness um, that I'm going to get help, Um, but it's certainly something I see over and over again.
0: It's really funny just really quickly like the idea that men have such an aversion and are so kind of afraid of going to therapy because I've had conversations with a number of men and they they'll ask like if we're doing kind of just random you know getting to know you questions and some of the men will ask have you ever seen a therapist like they think it's a huge question and a huge reveal and I'm like yes like and they're and they're like wow like thanks for sharing and I'm like isn't everyone seeing a therapist it's just funny well, the mentality
3: I think that people see it as a sign of weakness, like you said, but the truth is it's a sign of strength. Like the journey Jessica and I have been on since separating and, and really growing and everything, you recognize that when you take the time to look at yourself and see how you did contribute to the, you know, fall out of your marriage, because everybody does contribute in one way or another, I allowed my ex-husband to treat me the way I was treated. I allowed that to happen. I didn't I didn't you know participate in in that kind of behavior, but I still played a role in it. And the minute you start doing that, that's like a real amazing learning experience and a sign of strength. So these are among the many societal stigmas and assumptions and he's got to earn the money and she's got to take care of the kids. And then he has to take care of her and women need to be taken care of. And like, we, we have to break all of this. So I'm all about therapy. I'm all about picking your friends who aren't toxic and learning how, like, it's fine to be friends with everyone who's chirping in your ear. You just can't take it all in. So if you're going to take it all
0: in, then they got to go. Right. Right. Christina what do you think?
2: Yeah, I think that I think we as women are a little more accustomed because of our cultural training to talk more. And we just talk more. You know, that's what you do with your girlfriends, right? You talk about everything, you talk about your emotions and your relationships and you get every detail and we're just comfortable with that already. And I and again we're generalizing, but I think a lot of men aren't. You know, they're sort of trained and raised not to show a lot of emotion and not to cry and not to go talk to their friends and you know talk about all the emotional problems that they may be having. So they keep that in. So I think it might be a more natural inclination for women to wanna go to therapy or to get some sort of therapy from their girlfriends, but men aren't really getting that. So who are they talking to? Right. That's really the problem. And, you know, I think John and I both have different experiences as divorce lawyers because of our gender. So maybe a male client feels a little more comfortable saying certain things to him that they wouldn't say to me or vice versa, same with women. So it's funny to hear John say that he feels like the men are in more need of therapy because I feel like the women are more in need of therapy (laughs) because we do feel the need to talk so much. You know, men, I feel like will just you know, go watch football and drink a beer. And that's their therapy. Women need to talk about everything all the time. Yes, don't do that right away. Yes, right away. Don't do that with your lawyer. They're too expensive. Right, yeah. So, and you know, it's not that we don't want to be there for our clients and and lend an ear on occasion, but that's not our job. That's not our role in your divorce. So don't, don't use us as a therapist. We're really not qualified to do that for you. (laughs) Totally.
3: I I feel like, you know, people are just so vulnerable and they just want to tell somebody their story. So if they lawyer up right away and you're the first person you, they see you're getting it. Like you are so getting it. And if you don't nip it in the bud right away and they're not listening to you to go get a therapist, you're going to keep getting it. Because then they don't want to go and tell their story, and start all over again, and tell somebody else. Now I have to broker a new relationship and what right. whatever. But I also those are the excuses.
0: I also think that part of it is because there are, depending on the circumstances of each person's divorce, there are people who want you or feel like you need to know every single detail so that you can figure out a way to spin it and use it against. They're right. soon to be X. like you need to know all of the ways that he did this. And, and, and I, but here's what I said instead, but then he insisted on doing it this way. And that's why this happened. I would venture, I have a friend in particular that I'm thinking of when I, when I say that, and I would venture to say that there are people who, don't think they're using you as their therapist but are trying to to get you to they understand to right, right where they're coming from right. so that you can make sure that the other person is the wronged party
2: there there's a mistake in that thinking though and i'm so glad that you brought this up because this actually gives me insight into the to, to the client mind because i'm on the other side of the table, but that's really where people go wrong. That is not the purpose of a divorce as a legal proceeding because that's how people really need to look at it, at least when they're at their lawyer's office. It's a legal proceeding. That's what it is. And I think that's where the disconnect is because for you, the litigant, that's not what it is. I mean, if the legal part is just a necessary part of the whole thing, but for you guys, it's such a small part of it for you it's about the emotional and psychological breakup the the breakdown right. of your family your the life that you've known and for us it's such a small piece so we're not focusing on all the terrible things that your husband did or that your you know the wife did it's really largely irrelevant for the job that we have so maybe that's what we're really talking about when we're referring to therapy is you you can complain to your attorney, but they can't do anything about it. There's no way for this legal proceeding to make you whole. Mm-hmm. It's only about uh, custody and parenting time and issues like that related to the children or strictly about money and property distribution. That's all right. it's about from a, a legal proceeding aspect. So
3: managing expectations upfront is really critical. I guess it's kind of like, you have an amp, like your foot hurts, right? You're not going to the eye doctor for a problem with your foot. You're going to the foot doctor. So you're going to the lawyer to work out the finances and the business part of your marriage. You're not going to them to talk about why your, your childhood emotions have repeated themselves into your marriage and now you're getting a divorce and you can't deal with it.
0: No, but I think there are a lot of people out there who don't necessarily know that either the state that they're living in or or don't know enough about divorce as a whole to understand that there are no fault states and there are things where it doesn't matter what someone's behavior was so that people come in, I, I believe, that people come in thinking, you need to know that you know that he cheated and it wasn't just one person he had affairs with eight different women and he promised me that he wasn't going to and this happened and this happened and i think that there are people who are thinking you're i'm going to get more money or i'm going to get more of this or i'm going to get more of this because he yelled at the kids all the time and he thought that it was okay to spank them when they did something wrong and so i should have full custody like who knows? It runs the gamut, right. but I do believe agenda. that there are people come in and they're spewing all of the shit because they're thinking that in some way, when it comes to the money, or in some way, when it comes to the custody and all of that, how however it plays out, that it that they're going to benefit from it in the end, and and the only way that that will happen, they think, is by telling you all of the things that theoretically they should be telling their therapist.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, what's, what's interesting about that is, and the reason why therapy is so important early on is you might tell all these things to your attorney at the beginning and that's fine. You know, I like people to tell their story, but when it becomes toxic for your divorce is when you're still telling the same story six months into the divorce. Right. And I've had certain clients where I could literally put them on mute and go and get coffee and come back and know the entire story because they've told it to me six or seven times already. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people out there, I know you all know them, who it doesn't matter what you say to them, they hear what they want to hear. So even right. if you say, listen, the fact that he's the one that wanted the divorce or she's the one that wanted the divorce is irrelevant. Fact that he cheated with, you know, every, you know, every woman on your entire street doesn't matter. You could say that to them a million times, but if they're not dealing with those issues in a healthy environment, like in therapy, um, it's still going to be a block. And the reason a lot of divorces take so long is because those sorts of emotional blocks in people's minds don't allow them to compromise. That doesn't allow them to move forward. And, you know, so yes, Christina's right. I mean, we, want, we need to hear everything because you know you don't know what's important for us and we don't know what's important until we hear the whole story. But once you tell the whole story, um, you don't need to repeat it a million times to your attorney. Find a different way to express yourself. Otherwise, you're going to be paying an attorney 20, 30, 40, 50, $100,000. And a lot of that's going to be phone calls, which you know no one's happy about. But right. unfortunately, that's where people end up.
2: Yeah, and you know, a mistake that I see a lot is that people will, when they're very emotional, will use their attorney as the sounding board just to complain, and that's expensive. And John's right, they'll tell the same story a million times. I remember there was one client, a man who every single time I talked to him, it didn't matter what it was about. He started out with the same story and it was kind of astounding to me. Like, does he remember that he already told me this? But you you don't wanna do that because you're gonna run up a huge bill. And you know when you're gonna be sorry you did that? At the end, when it's when it is done. Because I almost wonder sometimes if people are intentionally, subconsciously trying to just keep it going. Because that connection is still there as long as they're fighting. Because when it's done, it's done. And some people are left feeling a little bit empty. You're probably
0: right. There probably are people who are just sort of hanging on in this weird, toxic way because they're afraid for it to be really over.
3: It happens all the time. People have to remember that when your divorce is over and you're done with your lawyer, they go away. So then right. you still need a therapist. Right, <laughs> but don't but don't all regret the bill again. at the very end. And bill, right. right, they shouldn't wait. But I'm just saying, like, if they put it all on you guys and then it's over, you're like, wait, who's going to support me? So you have to start building yeah. your support early on for yourself. So what do you think is another big mistake that people make um, if there's a difference between men and women as far as getting divorced?
1: Uh, there's one, there's... Oh, go ahead, John. Oh no, I, I was just going to say, um, and this is kind of related to the therapy part, so we probably don't need to talk about it for very long. But it's not having any kind of support community around you, um, and this is a it, this is primarily a male issue. Of course, there are some women as well. Um, Christina said, I use this analogy all the time that men like to go to their man cave in the basement and have beer and watch, you know, football or baseball. And that's their, that's their way of sort of, you know, trying to deal with the situation. But that's so self-destructive because at some point you're going to be divorced. You're going to have to move on with your life. And people sort of get to the point where they don't have anyone to talk to, or they don't feel like they have anyone to talk to because men are really bad about friendships in general. Um, Most men I speak, I know so many guys who all their friends are people they work with or people they went to college or high school with. And there's not a lot of anything in between, you know. Um, And so one thing I'm always encouraging men to do is to try to join groups, go out and find groups of people that you can be around. It doesn't have to be other divorcing guys. It could be, you know, there's those meetup groups, right? Where you can do like dining clubs and, you know, golf clubs and all this other stuff. Go find something because a lot of times people become, and this is related to what we've been talking to, they become so self-consumed with the divorce that it's like the only thing going on in their life and those are the people that have the worst divorces because that's why they're talking to their attorneys so much because that's their life that's all they're doing you got to find something else to do and so a, mis- a mistake people make is forgetting to live their life even though they're going through a divorce this is only one part of your life go out and find what makes it's you happy on the radar yeah
2: I spoke to a client one time about that very thing. She had a very high conflict divorce. And I talked to her probably a year afterwards. And she was like a completely different person. And, you know, kind of expounding on what you said, John, she did say to me, you know, friends would sort of avoid me, like friends just evaporated, you know, even if it was whether it was a couple that we used to hang out with or not. I just felt like people weren't there for me. And I we had a really intimate conversation about this. And I said, well, I think what happens a lot is when someone's going through a divorce, it's all they want to talk about. And your friends, you know, or maybe more acquaintances, they don't want to hear it every single time they see you. Right. So that's why you might start getting the, oh God, it's her. I'm going to go hide, you know, I got to (laughs) like hide because she's going to talk about her divorce. And and I, you know, maybe they don't want to be in the middle. They don't know what to say. So that is also why I think someone should have a therapist or a support group or, you know, some outlet like that so that they're not you know, tainting all of the relationships in their lives about their divorce because Mm -hmm. you can't alienate people. And, and I, I try to be understanding about it because this client explained to me, you know, I understand now looking back that I talked about it all the time and it was a hundred percent my life, but you know, people do also have to understand that I was scared. You know, I was a stay-at-home mom and my husband was, not kind to her during the divorce. And she was scared, you know, what's going to happen to me? How am I going to support myself? So I do try to remember that all the time when, when I'm talking to the client who has to tell me the story 5 million times, but to people out there who are listening, maybe be a little mindful if you're doing that because you don't want to alienate the good relationships that you have.
0: Right. Right. What you were going to say something, Christina, before John started about one of the biggest, most common mistakes you keep seeing over and over again. Yes.
2: Well, there is something that comes to mind that I see a lot. And I think it's so harmful to women in particular. Well, again, you know, usually not the breadwinners, but I hear this saying all the time, well, I'm not going to go out and get a job because I need to maximize how much alimony I'm going to get. Ooh. I don't know if you've heard that, but I always think, why on earth would you sabotage yourself to try to get money from that guy who may or may not have enough for you? Because that's the reality of most situations is right. there not enough money to go around and that's a lot of the fighting. But if you could actually go out and get a job and you know, do something where you wow, could you be completely yourself. self-supporting and you don't need him anymore and you don't need his money and you don't need to rely on him. Why wouldn't you do that?
0: That's a fascinating mindset. I haven't, I haven't heard of that before. I, I'm not, now that you say it, I don't know that I'm that surprised. I could, I could see that being the rationale for some people, but I also agree with you. But I, I think I come from a place of more like, as long as I can support myself and stand on my own two feet, it's a, it's a safer place to be. I, I don't have to be as scared. So it's interesting that someone, as you said, would sabotage themselves and stay in a scarier, less secure space by not like trying to move on with their lives.
3: But, but she or that person might think that the other person is responsible and is, you know, it it's, look, what you know is, is always safer than what you don't know, right? So what she knows is that he always took care of her, always paid the bills. So I'm going to keep riding this, but I'm surprised that it wouldn't, the point of imputed income wouldn't come up and she wouldn't have to get a job anyway, like, that definitely came up for me. I was a working woman, but still, you know, that came up. But I could see people just wanting to, that's a safe lane because it's what that person knows.
2: If they well, don't think know about working, then- I think, they're, I think they're doing it strategically though, because I'll have the client, the client will ask me, do you think it's better for me to just lay low and, you know, not get a job because, you know, we want to demonstrate that I really need this alimony and then I'll go get a job later. Or do should I just go get a job? And I always tell them you should go get a job because one of the arguments we're going to have is what can you do and how much money can you make? Right. So if you actually go out and get the job, whatever it is, we have there's our evidence look she's at work and I think you always look better to the judge too you're not just you know sitting around like waiting to get your alimony you went out you got a job it might not be much or maybe you know maybe you have a doctorate and you could go back to work go do it Uh, but whatever it is you know go do that that job or that aspiration or even go back to school you know use that time to do something productive it's not helping him it's
0: helping you. Right. It's, <laughs> it, it makes me question, though, if one of the mistakes, I don't know how quite how to phrase it, that you guys see are people um, making not necessarily the best decisions in order to try to somehow maintain or sustain the lifestyle to which they've become accustomed. And what mistakes do you see that, that focus specifically around that?
1: Well, I was going to say, what's interesting about alimony is you never, it's never enough money to maintain the lifestyle. It just <laughs> never is. Cause I mean, simple math, you know, um, but well, Mackenzie Bezos
0: class. may disagree.
1: Well, yeah, yeah an I Average will.
2: middle class, <laughs> <family>. average, <laughs> an
1: average family. But yes. um, I, I see this all the time too. i um, just TH it's, it actually is more common than probably most people believe, but um, there's a lot of people out there, mostly women, but there are some men who almost look at alimony as an entitlement, like I'm entitled to this alimony. When the purpose of alimony is to allow somebody a smooth transition into post-divorce life and let them get to the point where they're self-sustaining, that's supposed to be what alimony is about. And what really is interesting is the people that Christina is talking about that have been married for 25 or 30 years, that's one thing right? Because, that, you know, the building may be very difficult after not working for that long. It's the people that have been married for like five to 10 years that I sometimes want to strangle and be like, you weren't married that long. Why in the world do you think that you shouldn't have to go out and get a job? Um, and then I have to have that other conversation because I, t- I have the same conversation Christina has with them. I say, what if, what if he gets hit by a car tomorrow? Oh, God. What are you, you going to do? Well, let's say he hits by a car, the life insurance wasn't being paid because he stopped paying it. What are you going to do then? I mean, like, it's all about, I mean, Jessica, you and TH are, you know, uh, very independent women. Uh, but it's, you know, why would you not want to depend on yourself and use alimony to transition yourself to whatever you're going to do next? Um, it, it's an entitlement issue. And it's interesting because a lot of states in the country don't have alimony. I mean, we're living up in the Northeast where alimony is very common, Um, like the entire South, alimony is very rare. And so it's very interesting, not just uh, how like geographically in the United States, like how everyone perceives alimony so differently. But yeah, I see this all the time. Well,
0: I'll tell well, I, you, I, I sorry, Christina. I, I was just going to say, like, I consider myself a pretty well-educated, smart person. I mean, and again, when you go into divorce for the first time, you really don't know what you don't know. But, but I walked in and I remember just asking, so like, what are you entitled to, for lack of a better word? And I remember we had one meeting, my first husband and I had one meeting with the two of us and our lawyers at the same time. And his lawyer was like, at most, you'll get, and it was like a pittance uh, for up to five years. And I remember thinking, like, the movies that I saw growing up, like they were getting paid out for life. And it didn't really matter at the time because I did have a job and I was self supporting, and I ended up waiving the maintenance anyway. But I was like, what do you mean up to five years? Like, I'm going to get $1,000 a month for three years and that's going to be the end of it. And I, I think that there are a lot of people, John, to your point of like feeling entitled. I think it's like the what we think based on things that we've read or movies we've seen or TV shows that we've seen or the stories that we read in the paper about not just the standard middle-class families, but, you know, these uber wealthy families and kind of what you th- expect because that's what you think is actually happening and it's not happening
2: well Well, I have to I I want to to tell you my experience
3: quick and then I want you you guys both to comment on what we both had to say because it's very very different my alimony was very generous and I had alimony and child support a three kids I I was currently unemployed because the company imploded but I had a home business like I was always scrappy so I had potential to make money And um, my alimony just ended after 10 years. I got 10 years of alimony, which now I understand is like virtually impossible. Like that's just not what happens anymore. It's like half the number of years that you're married and we were married 13 years. So I should have gotten not 10 years. So anyway, it just ended. And I will just say that you should listen to what John said about it being like, this is a float that use the time because I, I went back to work and, and that's what I always did. But if I hadn't, and I waited, I would have been like, holy shit, because it was a lot of money. It was a lot of money. It ended all at once. And even now, I mean, I can still support myself, but still I was like, God I really enjoyed that money. Wow. <laughs> that, that like, I could do so much more. I yeah. could, I could keep my rule I law account open. I could just buy something and not think about it. And so as you slowly wean your, you should wean yourself away from it if you're getting alimony and really use that time. And fortunately I'm in a position where, like I said, I can support myself. But if you haven't been in the working world for a really long time or ever, take classes, learn the computer, if you love to sew, go be the sewing king or queen. You love cars, go fix cars and build cars or do whatever your passion's at. Because even in the in the privileged position that I was in, I was I'm still missing my alimony. But it's done. It's time to move on. I'm a grown girl. Um, well, okay. So those are, I different positions. I have
2: to disagree with John. We, we often disagree. <laughs> We've had, we have playful debates all the time, but I do think alimony is an entitlement. And I don't know if this is a gender issue or not, but it always bothers me when people fail to really appreciate that when people are married, you know, they plan their lives together as though they're always gonna be together, right? So when you're in the thick of it and you're not thinking about divorce, like, oh, well, what if we get divorced later? No one's thinking that. So a lot of situations, a lot of families have the dad who goes, you know, and we're, we're generalizing, right? With heterosexual couples. Yes. but you know, dad goes to work, he gets to focus on work, he gets to, you know, climb the corporate ladder, make his money, he brings home the bacon, like that's the traditional arrangement, right? Mom's at home, she's taking care of the kids, she's keeping the husband's underwear clean, doing his laundry, picking up his dry cleaning, cooking dinner, taking the kids to school and soccer and the doctor's appointments and their little birthday parties. And you guys know all the stuff that you have to do. And then there comes a time when, you know, maybe they have a discussion. Well, it just makes more sense for me to go to work and make the money and I can make a lot of money and you can stay home and our kids can be cared for and not be in daycare all day. So then fast forward when somebody decides, oh, you know, this isn't working out anymore. We need to get divorced. Oh, by the way, lady, you know how you've been making a home for us? Well, that's got to stop. So go get a job. I know that you haven't been out in the workforce for, you know, 10 or 15 years, but sorry, go find a job and go make money because gravy train is over. So, you know, I think I'm expressing how I feel about it, but it, it is an entitlement because you can't convince me that that woman who gave up working years and that this was a decision that you both made together, to benefit both of you and to benefit your children, that woman Mm -hmm. should get alimony. The question is really how long, how much, you know, we can get into a philosophical debate about what it's really for, you know, we'll end at some point in time. So I do think that it's an entitlement. And I think women in those situations, they should have the alimony. Um, They should be more strategic about what they do with the money and how what they do to rehabilitate themselves, if you will, so that they can, you know, be marketable and have skills and and go out because you don't get those years back. Those years that you give up, you know, your 20s or your 30s, where you could have been establishing yourself in a profession, you don't get those years back. You're right. So the, I would tell people probably the people who should be listening to this are the ones who are married, happily married or getting married. I would, I always tell women this, you know, don't give that part of your life up. I know that your kids are important and you don't want the, a nanny raising them, but don't just completely give everything up to be a stay-at-home mom because you don't know if your marriage is going to last. I
3: think so. as far as roles of, of, traditional roles as you're describing of men and women in a a married um, you know in a marriage it still is on the women like for me he worked and I worked but I still did the doctor's visits I still did the parties I still did everything so I actually had two jobs and I did have a nanny part-time just for picking them up because of logistic purposes but I still did juggle, and I actually thought it was, well, now that it's all done, so it's fine, I can say, but it was so much easier when we divorced, and he actually had to take on some of those responsibilities. Sure. Guess what? It's your weekend. You're taking them to practice. You've got birthday parties. We've got a family dinner. This, here's their agenda. Have a nice weekend. Like It's easier. But when you're going through it and when you're married and you are working and also taking care of the kids, it's, it's still traditionally is the woman's responsibility. It's a lot lot of work.
1: I feel,
0: I feel like, and maybe this is what goes into, I never had a prenup in either of my marriages, but I wonder if this is part of what goes into it, but I feel like there should be some sort of a legal strategy, document, procedure, whatever where when a couple who's married makes the decision, Christina, that you're talking about, like, listen, does it make more sense for us? Now, we were going to start a family, you know, you stay home and and you're going to, you know, be more taking care of the kids and and taking care of the house, which, as we all know, is a full-time job plus uh, for everyone. If that's at that point, it should be like, okay, we're making this agreement. We're going to go to the lawyer's office and we're going to say, This is the decision that we're making. And in exchange for this decision, if we ever get divorced, you, the breadwinner, will be responsible for paying me X amount per year
2: Uh. from now
0: that I quit my job. No, it's genius, you guys. This is fucking genius.
2: I yeah. I always advocate for prenups, but you know people don't want to do them because but they think in, a prenup, in love. But a prenup they,
0: doesn't even doesn't even always cover it because I might sign a prenup and I may have a job, and seven years later is when I may decide to leave my job and create a family, and so I am now ownership of this genius idea that there should be a legal document of you're deciding that someone's going to quit their job <laughs> and here's and deciding your alimony payout your your spousal maintenance in advance so that when it comes down to getting divorced you're like oh no you already this is this is our agreement you're going to pay me x amount per year now for the next that's going to be based on years but that's going to be based on him or her not making any money when you first get
3: married as opposed to all the money they're going to be making 10 years into your marriage. You whatever. Nowadays,
0: that. it's all based on an income of up to like 85 or 100,000 anyway. And so whatever, like.
1: Well, you know what? I, and, and Christina, the situation you just outlined, that is absolutely, I mean, that's what alimony's for. I, I'm going to sort of um asters, by my statement I, what i'm really talking about are the people um christina that have been married for 6 or 7 years and wife makes 70,000 and husband makes 95,000 and they don't have kids and just yeah. because she makes less i get alimony and i yeah. should get alimony for 7 years that's really what i was talking about like we've gotten to the point at least in new jersey and new jersey's a very uh I don't know how to describe it, but alimony is almost automatic in New Jersey if there's a disparity in income. If you're married for what? What do you think? Two or three years? Now we're talking about alimony. It's getting it's well, gotten it's, really it's, it's egregious. It's gotten, not it,
2: that the judge will award it. It's just that you almost you get almost forced into it if you want to settle.
1: Yeah, you do. It's it's bad, but that's really that's really and that makes alimony a bad name for everybody, is that everyone's using it in a different way. Um, because really it's for the reason that Christina just said, you've altered your life. yeah. That, and in that alterization, you've financially um, suffered. You would financially suffer if you weren't married. And that's what alimony's for, is to make sure that you're not just thrown out on the street whenever you um, get a, a divorce, and you can still maintain the standard of living that you helped build because you were staying at home raising the children. And it's so like, there's so many things in between those two extremes, but um, yeah, I don't know what was the mistake we were talking about. Is it just it was? We on well, you were you alimony. were saying
0: then the mistake was the fact that some people are feel entitled to alimony. Oh, yeah. Okay. Which, which stemmed from Christina saying that some people will say, I'm not going to get a job right now because then it shows I need the alimony and yes, I can get more. Yes. So it all came back around full circle. So,
1: so I want to torture guys for a second because I feel like we were talking about women making them this mistake. So let's talk about custody and men. Big mistake that I see men make is all of a the sudden they start going through a divorce and now all of a the sudden they're father of the year. Right. The and, fun, and, fun
2: dad, too. Yeah, the fun, oh, fun the Best dad. place
3: ever. It's I know. And at their house. And,
1: and not recognizing that they have to accept the reality of the way they've been acting during the marriage. Now, even if they've been working and they haven't been home all the time, that doesn't mean that when you come home at night, you can't be an active father. And on the weekends, you can't be an active father. Um, but people seem, a lot of guys seem to think that they're just entitled to having equal time with the kids. Even if that's not what the kids have been used to, even if that's not appropriate with their schedules, even if, you know, um, father doesn't really know, you know, the friends, uh, the parents of all the friends, they, you know, even if it's not great for the kids, they really, a lot of guys in this day and age just feel like that's, they're entitled to it. Um, And I think that's a mistake to not really reflect on what's really best for your kids. And um, and I see that over and over again. I have to have so many conversations with men about stop thinking about math. I don't wanna hear about math anymore. This 50-50 crap, I don't wanna hear about it. What is best for your kids? What schedule is best for your kids? Look at your schedule. Look at your wife's, your ex-wife's schedule. Look at the kids' schedules. What is best for the kids? People make this mistake all the time.
3: And also what is he, what's doable? Like my ex-husband was never home before all the infidelity started. He, that just was the nature of his job. He left the house at six in the morning, come home at eight o'clock at night, sit in traffic, you know, for hours. And then he was fighting for 50, 50 custody. I'm like, how are you even doing this? And you go to the Philippines for three weeks. Like, what are you going to do then? You know, like just, he, he was in such a mindset of, I want shared custody. I want shared custody. I'm like, You've been nowhere for many years. Now you're showing up as father of the year. You don't know anything that's going on here and you're disrupting their lives. Like to do every other night was like bonkers. I also think best interest at all.
0: But CH, I think to that point, it's some of it is guys wanting to like stick it to the, to the ex-wives right? Like they feel like they're going to be taken advantage of in some way financially. And so they're going to fight back by trying to maybe make the woman settle for less over here by giving, you know, giving right, the woman and, and, and I also think that a lot of guys who probably were like pseudo absentee fathers while they were married, because they knew that their wives were taking care of everything all the time. I don't think that men fully understand what their Never weekends not. are going totally. to be like when they you have the kids like it's a little bit of a, you know
2: karma yeah. you want 50 50 i'll show you 50 50 <laughs> you know i tried to do that as a strategy once in a divorce because the husband kept insisting you want a 50 50 and i said you know what and they had like four kids i'm like you know what Let's Give do a, to a temporary arrangement where he gets 50, 50. Cause I promise you, he will not keep that up for oh. long. And she Maya wouldn't do it. it so either. I'll never know how it would have turned I, out.
0: <laughs> I believe that that's actually a brilliant strategy because I'm like, I, I would tell people, I was one of the first, I mean, other than I, And mine was actually technically done before hers, but like- I remember telling people in the beginning the best part of divorce is not having your kids all the time and not being able to feel guilty about it. This is what was decided in the divorce. I can't harbor mom guilt about the fact that every other weekend I have off. But let me tell you something: every other weekend I have off. And now I like look at families who have their kids all the time. I'm like, God, how do they do that? I have it's lots of married. I had lots of
3: married friends that were like, wait, you get Wednesdays and every other weekend and every other holiday off? That's a pretty good gig. Yes, it is. But yeah, there, there can certainly be an agenda. There could also be like, you know, an ego, like I am the best father and I know everything. And and yeah, it's the entitlement. And in the end, it really does come down to what's best for your kids. And I think also that the... the the parent that's not at home, like Jessica said, certainly doesn't recognize what's involved,
2: and it's just uh, they'll get theirs in the end. In the end. Sometimes, though, the dads are, you know, in some cases are honestly, sincerely fearful that they're going to lose their kids. That yes, because you know they were working all the time, and mom always had the kids. Right. That well, what what am I now? What how right. am I going to? keep a you know maintain that bond with my children. So I do right. think there is some of that.
3: I do yeah, too. But I mean do too. But in the end, for my situation, it was nowhere near 50-50, drop the ball left and right. And so just make sure what you're asking for is what you can really do for your kids. And, well, do
1: yeah. and people don't people don't recognize that you can transition into something too. I mean it doesn't have to be sudden for the kids. And, you know, I settle a lot of cases by, you know, coming up with, you know, six to 12 month transition schedules so we can see how the kids are doing. And people, a lot, of, a lot of people go through a divorce and it's a win or lose proposition. Right. And it's just, it's rough. It's rough. But just keep your kids front and center. Don't, because a lot of guys that are looking for joint custody, it's because that's what society's telling them they should be asking for. And I will tell you guys, there is a movement afoot to pass laws including in New Jersey, that would create this presumption of 50-50 custody. And at first I thought that was a great idea, but now that I've thought about it more, I just think that that would cause more harm than good in a lot of different circumstances. But um, this is not going away anytime soon.
0: I actually, side note, but unrelated, but on that, I'd love us to do another conversation um, in the near future about that specifically, like why sometimes 50-50 custody is not the best idea. That would be a really interesting conversation to have, because when you first brought it up, like, I would think 50-50 would be great, and I would be curious to dig a little deeper on sometimes. We ask, don't have to do it now. Ask but. your
1: kids if they would like to flip-flop between two houses. My kids
0: have days. been flip-flopping between well, No, like every,
1: ha- Like, every two days or, or a week yeah. or a week there. Um, it's just uh, some parents' parenting style is so different. It causes yeah. so much trouble, uh, particularly when they're of school age. Younger kids in particular that need stability and a structure and a schedule. Yeah, Yeah. we'll have to
0: have that conversation for sure.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that that would be a good one.
0: Totally. Any last minute thoughts on, I mean, listen, there are obviously many more mistakes because I feel like in the grand scheme of things, we probably really only covered four. Um, So we'll have to have a part two for sure. Um, Any last minute thoughts?
2: No, just, just, um, you know, get yourself into the right mindset like with some of the things we've already talked about, but get yourself into the mindset to try to resolve things as best you can. Have a therapist or a coach that you can, you know, kind of complain to a little bit and help guide you a little bit, but just be prepared.
1: Yeah. yeah my, I would say mindset, um, you know, remember that you were in this partnership with somebody and, you know, the money's not yours. You know, the children aren't yours. This is some, you know, you've got to go into it with the right mindset that, you're, that you should be fair. I mean, you built this life together. Um, you're going to have to divide it up in a reasonable, fair way. And if you go into it with that mindset and have reasonable expectations, which means don't go over to an attorney that promises you everything. Um, as long as you go into it with that kind of mindset and you're trying to be amicable, um, it's going to end okay it really will. And you'll move on with your life. You'll find someone new, but if you go for, you know, nuclear missiles flying at the other side, thinking that, you know, your wife or your husband's not entitled to anything, it's not going to end well. You're going to spend a ton of money. You're going to be miserable and it's going to take you a while to recover.
3: Yeah.
0: Okay. You guys, as always, amazing conversation. So much to think about. Thank you both so much for your time. We went extra long today, but really appreciate it. Tons yeah. of great information. Um, for everybody listening, you will find all of this on our X experts website, exexperts.com, including bio pages for both John and Christina. So you can reach out to them directly, find out about their podcasts and their law firm. And- Thank you again. We'll see you next time. Thank you.
3: Thank you, guys.
0: Thanks so much for listening to Divorce, Etc. with the X Experts. We really hope this episode was helpful for you in getting information you need and feeling empowered to get through it. And always remember, there are so many of us just like you. Now, please hit the subscribe button so you always get new episodes, and please rate and review us. You can also check out our website filled with free resources at xexperts.com. Follow us on social on Instagram and Facebook and send us an email to let us know your thoughts or any questions or topics you'd like us to talk about. See you next time.